Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we are stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastor. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of James Elliott, who has a company called Filigree and Shadow. Now... He makes perfumes, and um, the reason he came onto my radar was recently there was a film about the 1979 band Rima Rima that came out at the end of 2022, and uh, they were the first ever band on 4AD Records. Decades later, there was a compilation that came out as well, and uh, at the beginning of this film, James appears because he makes a perfume inspired by the track Rima Rima. And when I looked at his website, he's got a lot of other tracks, um, a lot of other perfumes that have been inspired by such people as Lush, The Heart Throbs, The Pearl Saints, This Mortal Coil, and much, much more. So I thought I must get an interview with him. So you're going to find out more about how this process happens and a lot more about his uh, company and life in music. Anyway... After several minutes of casual but interesting chat, we edit out. We get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. James, it's over to you. So uh, I was born in 1974, so you're 10 years older. Uh, I grew up with parents who were hippies in America. So uh, dad was Grateful Dead, Mountain, my mom was Donovan and um, Jefferson Airplane. And so there was that kind of progressive rock noise that I grew up with. Uh, listening to industrial alternative music was something that kind of happened in high school because at that point you're having to like, choose your allegiances. Are you going to hang out under the stairs? Are you going to hang outside and smoke cigarettes? What are you going to listen to? What are you going to wear? And I really gravitated toward a lot of music that was in the alternative genre. Um, some artists that were a little bit more melancholy, others that had no problem talking about lyrics that were shocking. I would say that my biggest kind of eye-opening moment uh, was at two o'clock in the morning watching MTV 120 Minutes, where I remember this so well because it was a video triptych of starting with um, Disposable Heroes of Hypocrisy, uh, Television Drug of a Nation, and then moved to The Cure, Let's Go to Bed. And then the next video was Loveless, uh, Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. And being a teenager, in suburbia and seeing this incredible flash of sound and light coming at you through your television screen and hearing guitars you've never heard before just completely turned me upside down and like my whole world had was never the same since and they're actually my favorite band of all time but it's such a hard thing to describe to people because they have so many jokes of like vacuum noises or you know is kevin shields going to release a record 10 years later um but that for me was just that uh, I've never heard anything like My Bloody Valentine since. And there, it's Loveless is still my go-to record. If I can just listen to it beginning to end, no problem. Yes, my goodness. The 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 record that uh, nearly drove Anna McGee completely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and cre- creation records bankrupt. But then anyway, anyway they, they yes, I, I do remember because those bands that you mentioned, um, you know, John, we we had this guy called John Peel, and you'll hear about John Peel from people mm-hmm. like me, because he was this go-to beacon that would just play this amazing music. And you you kind of felt like you needed to hear it because in a show, normally there'd be one song which was just amazing. The rest was interesting, but one would just be like, wow, that's just extraordinary. So I never listened to John Live. I would always listen, I would always put a TDKD you know, 90 cassette in and then sort of, um, yeah, just kind of have to consume it the next couple of, you know, because on one listen, it was just too much. It was everything was just it was a all completely new to my ears and brain. And also some of it was like going from the Bundu boys to early public enemy. You know, like you said, you know, that that kind of rap music of um, the disposable heroes of hypocrisy, which was television drug of a nation. Yes. Horace Nand was it Horace Nandy was the other one they did. There was um uh yeah, so uh, famously uh I actually I bought I had the album, so um and I still listened to some of the other songs that they did, but yeah, so then it was Michael Franti and I forgot who the other gentleman was in the band, and then he formed off Spearhead and then he did his own solo work. Um and yeah, because at the time I was also not just here disposable heroes of hypocrisy, but also public enemy, like you mentioned, and then De La Soul um 
and consolidated and there was consolidated there was another band which were really quite hard and political there was a lot of hard yes. political music in there the, so yes the disposable heroes and there were there was just and then you know obviously i remember john peel playing um feed me with your kisses and you made me realize and that kind of ep came out and i just remember going to see them at norwich art center and there was like 250 people silverfish was supporting and it was just like oh my god it was such an amazing sound and such an amazing band and you know then i saw them you know at the uea when they did loveless and it was just like this wave of beautiful noise and yeah you know at that stage they took the kind of i don't know if they called it shoegazing at the time but there was something quite magical about my bloody Valentine, which wasn't made to last, was it really? But um... no, but I, I think there was something to that effect of um, you could, I mean, you could go young and being foolish. You could go to those shows without earplugs and not necessarily walk away with tinnitus, but almost that equivalent to it. Um, but that that exposure of that music when you were talking about um, listening to other artists, that when you gravitate toward your social group of people. And then you're all kind of sharing music that you love and you're sharing mixtapes because, you know, you're recording music off the radio or you're borrowing other people's um, cassette tapes and you're making your own mixtapes and sharing things. You we all kind of gravitated toward the label 4AD because there was so much of that music at the time where everything that they were putting out was just consistently amazing and that you could just go into the record store and you could just buy the art. You could just see immediately recognize V23 and Vaughn and Chris and Martin's work grab that album off the um off the rack buy it bring it home and you would listen to something that was absolutely perfect and that there were so many artists at that time that had that kind of quality to it under the 4ad label and another one for me was the wolfgang press so the album queer came out and for me that was such an absolutely beautiful album um and then you're starting to go through the discography and i have this thing where i obsess over artists so i will listen to something that they have and i have to go through everything else that they've ever put out and i just and i have have to consume it and buy it and um going back to the wolfgang press's early discography then you're finding all the other artists that are connected to that and so um for me it was that go back through then you're listening to mass and then you're listening to rima rima and then gary's offshoot of um renegade Soundwave. and i think i was probably the only one of my friends who just played the bejesus out of biting my nails um and just convincing my friends, like, no, let's just get really drunk and just walk around and just listen to Biting My Nails. And I promise you, you're going to have a good time. And the alcohol helped. Like, it, I won them over with the alcohol. But, like, it just, like, there's so many of that work that was just absolutely amazing for me. Yes, absolutely. No, I I sort of, the Renegade Soundwave, you know, period was was good. But I hadn't slightly... Um, delved so deep as you did on on sort of going back to the catalogue because in the early days it was I'm making excuses here aren't I but um you know getting information was always tricky you couldn't just go on yeah. the internet I've, everyone I interviewed from you know that period it was like well when we had to try and get a record you know you you went to a shop you were hopeful you were expecting to be disappointed because they wouldn't have the record you know you'd mentioned something that John Peel played they'd look at you sometimes a bit blank and think you're just trying to be clever and you think no I really want that single and you haven't got it so it was it was you know researching stuff could sometimes I'm making excuses aren't I but it was a bit tricky at times so um, oh no not at all I mean I would say especially in the states I mean you had either college radio you had to rely on either college radio or if you had a public television access show where on the weekends they would do alternative music or Rolling Stone magazine, because um, then if you could go to the record stores and the music stores, if they weren't corporate and they were independent, the people who work there, I mean, it was just the epitome of, you know, the John Cusack film, um, High Fidelity, where like yes. Jack Black is in there and like they're making fun of you for the albums you're picking up. So like, God forbid you pick up a New Order album. And if they don't like New Order, they're just going to laugh you out of the store. So you kind of have to find your alignment with the people who work there and see if they can give you any recommendations. Yes. Um, I mean, for us, like being in the States, like I don't have $15 to spend on NME magazine. Cause like when all those magazines came in and they were brought in from the UK, it was like, we couldn't afford those prices. And like Rolling Stone was like $4. So you flip to the back and you see what the top indie artists are and you run to the record store and you just kind of have to do your research that way and hope to God that what you're buying is actually decent. Yes. God, Roland Sardone. I used to buy a few copies in the in the eighties. It was always annoying because the cover used to just fall apart, and then all the magazine, <laughs> and it was just full of like adverts. And I still got one with Jerry Garcia. They would always have the Grateful Dead, and in the nineties, it was kind of like a soft porn magazine, wasn't it? With just you know, young women with you know, 
Yeah, lots of flesh. The, oh, yeah. the, co- the covers in the 90s. But I remember it was just full of beer adverts and cigarette adverts and, and men in check shirts with, you know, like barbecues and then just the most naff bands that they would feature in great detail. And then something about public and national affairs, wouldn't they? Something to do with some American sort of corruption and war. So it was a very strange balance, but it was it was very mainstream, wasn't it? It was, because I, I would say that looking back at the British press and how they would treat a lot of the the artists and the musicians there, that um, that we love them, we hate them, we hate ourselves, and it's just that all kind of snake eating its own tail, kind of the way that it would treat music. But it was also, it, it was a great way to bring in the tension and the drama that would bring in the readership and like grab the magazines. But in, in the States, it was that it was just Rolling Stone for the longest time until you had Spin Magazine. But then the entire time, what you're doing at a alternative kind of echelon with that music is that you're just looking to see who are those, who are the artists? Because um, again, it's that your friends in these avenues and that's how you're trying to pursue music. And like, you're not necessarily gravitating toward what they're playing in the pop world. So you know, you have a friend who has a cassette and they're saying, hey, put this, you know, listen to my Walkman for a minute and you're putting the headphones on and all of a sudden they start playing Skinny Puppy and you're like, what is this? And then you're finding this amazing, you know, discography of, you know, Mind the Perpetual Intercourse with a Sep 6 and you're going back further with like Bites and then you're looking at all the other offshoots of all the other industrial artists and then who's Al Jurgensen? What's Ministry? What's Orange Pony or Hilt? And then Lead into Gold. And finding all these things and like you just can't find that in the mainstream press because they're just not interested in it like rolling stone's not going to make any money like talking about lead and gold no but years later they'll be discussing woodstock 99 and saying <laughs> it leads to a, a disaster doesn't it really i know all kind of those those industrial bands all lead to this kind of moment don't they of it was just feral. They were just feral, weren't they, really? So did, I mean, at this stage, I mean, obviously music is kind of a massive key part of your life. When, as as, as the, so you were sort of um, 16, I know, doing the maths mm-hmm. here, live in 1990. Then do you go on to university, college, or do you um, go elsewhere into the world of work? So uh, I graduated high school in 92. And uh, I was determined to go to art school. And when I lived in New Hampshire for a brief moment of time, because my dad had to move jobs. And so we lived in the New England area for like a year and a half. And then I had friends. Um, and at the time, that's when The Cure's Disintegration came out. And so we're all listening to a CD. And you're listening to this amazing album that just you had never heard before, which is absolutely beautiful. And, and it still is. Um, and then you have friends who are like, oh, here's Elvis Costello, here's The Cult, here's R.E.M. and like Hoodoo Gurus and Soul to Soul and 10,000 Maniacs. And you're listening to like all these different things that are kind of coming into play. Um, and then going back to high school in a different state, meeting other people and then like, listen to this, listen to this. Um, but then in the process of all that, I did get a chance to go to New York City as a kid. And it was like right after Andy Warhol died. So I did a retrospective at the MoMA. So we're all there like seeing this amazing work and they're taking you to different art schools. And they dropped us off in Brooklyn where I went to Pratt, where we went to Pratt Institute. And I thought, oh, I have to go to this art school. This is amazing. And at the time I didn't even know that like Robert Maplethorpe went there, Patti Smith went there, all these other um, artists that I love. It was just more of like the school itself was just this kind of epitome of what an art school should be. And so when I graduated college, my family was like, well, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, right? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm moving to New York City and bye. Um, so I did. And then that's also when electronic and music was coming in and the limelight was still open. So I had friends who were club kids and they would get me in to the clubs and we would get drink tickets and other such things and listen to alternative music all night and hang out with club kids And then there was also like this really intense goth scene that existed there. So one night you're going out with your friends and you're at a liquid sky rave. And then the next night you're at the limelight and you're watching the shadow project play. And like Roz Williams is on stage singing to you. So it was just like this crazy time. (laughs) I'm actually kind of amazed that my brain held itself together. Um, Yes. But yeah, so like originally I went to school for art and I was going to do printmaking and book arts. And you just learned that like you can't make money as an artist no so then no. i mean so then as as we're sort of curious so how how does your you know in, interest in perfume start to develop this is this you know 
roundabout way, aren't I? But yes. <laughs> All of this is to say, how did you start making... Um... Yeah, no, it's sort of, it, it was kind of, well, it's interesting, you know, it's a kind of fascinating narrative. So I just wondered how, you know, so, so far, so good. By the way, none of those gigs are ever wasted. Going to meetings in later life are kind of, you'll never look back when you're on your deathbed thinking, oh, I wish I went to more meetings, but you do wish you went to more gigs. Oh, absolutely. You might have wished you'd had earplugs as well, but never mind. And take a camera. That was the other thing. Jesus, if only we took cameras. Um, yeah. But gigs, I, I regret even. I thought I went to a lot, but now I realise I didn't. So. Oh, I, I went to quite a... So I would say that if you're young and you have access to public television as a teenager and you know how to speed dial on the phone, um, you can quickly call in and be the 12th caller and you can win tickets to see a bunch of shows. And so that's how you wind up um, at a napalm death nocturnus and godflesh show and you have no business being there but you also learn the people in the mosh pit are super sweet so like these huge metal heads are all just banging their heads in time you have no idea what's going on, on the stage but you're having a good time because everybody's there just kind of supporting each other and that was really wonderful yes. um but it's all of that music that i listened to that punk the industrial ethos that diy so all of these artists that I loved is that every single one of them, it wasn't that they came from classically trained backgrounds. It was that one day they just woke up and looked at their friends and said, I want to make music. Do you want to make music? And they said, sure. So let's just pick up an instrument and just bang it out until we can figure out what we're doing. And that was kind of the same experience for me was that I've always had a love for perfume. And in 2011, 2012, I just kind of said to myself, like, I can do it. How hard, I mean, how hard could it be to make perfume? And like, I just went into that with that same kind of DIY ethos of just being fearless of let's just pick up a bunch of materials and let's just bang things out until we figure out what's going on. And that's, I mean, that's literally how I started making perfume. Right. Just following my punk roots. Yes. Well, this is, yeah. So, so before that, had you, was there a particular scent, a smell that you thought, God, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever smelled? I just was curious. I just kind of curious what what started to trigger this because with us, you know, we had brute, we had old spice, and then <laughs> and then and then in the nineties there was like Calvin Klein and there was uh, Gaultier and it was like oh perfume's getting sexy here and then you know obviously the world started to change for people like us I suppose. Yeah, I, I would say that my so my favorite scent when I was growing up was Poison by Dior. So when Poison by Dior came out, it was like 88, 89 when it hit the United States. Um, it was absolutely intoxicating that um, I, there was a woman that was a physical therapist that I met through the family, through our family, and she always wore poison. There's something about that scent that I would do. I would sell my soul if asked, if just to like, have, just to breathe in poison, because it was such a beautiful scent. And you can't recreate it now because there are so many ingredients in there that have now been uh, regulated out by IFRA and the EU for safety reasons. But that original true formulation of it, it was just absolutely intoxicating for me. Yes. It doesn't give you cancer, though, does it? Uh, well, it doesn't necessarily give you cancer, but the um, the EU is very good about making sure that there are ingredients that are safe for people on your skin. And so there's a lot of materials in there that are no longer allowed to be used because at safety levels, um, over time, in larger concentrations, it can affect you negatively. Yes. Unfortunately, it's, it's always it's always the worst things. I know it's always life. But then talking of what the worst things, I mean, you mentioned your parents and their music taste. I mean, did patchouli come into your? You know, was that part of your <laughs> young? You, you know, your childhood memory? Did you sort of go, "Oh my God, my parents and their mates have just got patchouli and the smell of drugs." So there's something kind of funny about um, American hippies that they all started out with this whole idea of like peace and love. And then as they got older, they're like, oh, wait, I don't want peace and love anymore because that means I have to give up my comfort. So uh, we're not going to do that anymore. So where they all started off as like very kind of, you know, love, peace and hair grease, it turned into F you, I've got mine um, kind of mentality. So it was watching my dad kind of shift from this um I'm going to dodge the draft mentality to I'm a Republican libertarian. I'm not going, and the government's not going to take my money. And no, you can, everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Uh, so he never really did the patchouli thing, but he was really into Paco Rabanne and Calvin Klein's obsession. Um, and my mom, she really enjoyed um, Yardley of London cosmetics growing up as a child of the sixties and then um, really enjoying lavender. And then her, her kind of go-to son was Paloma Picasso. Blimey. Probably. 
Yeah. It's funny that one you mentioned, Paco. That was one of those ones my brother bought. He went in, in the 70s, he went into the army and I think he was stationed in Germany, would often come back through customs and buy this. And it was, you know, from Old Spice and Brood, it was like, my God, look at this trendy new perfume. You know, we were from the countryside and working class. We we were quite primitive at that time, looking back at us. Oh, no, I, I, but the patchouli aspect was that, I mean, you would go to shows and you would definitely smell people wearing patchouli because I think for a lot of younger people in the kind of alternative space so that it would be, you know, you're wearing your patchouli and you have your leather jacket and you're smoking cigarettes. And there's something kind of like about that whole level that the was just imbued within that culture. And then you would go with your friends who were like selling party favors, if you will, at Grateful Dead shows. And like everybody's wearing patchouli just to cover up the smell of body odor. So then yes. patchouli then becomes less of an intimate kind of beautiful aspect to like, oh my God, dirty hippies. Just like, get me a hose and some soap. Um, yeah. This is, this is, see, see, I, I see, I quite like the smell of patchouli, but if I oh, it's fabulous. this, but anybody, oh no, it just reminds me of dirty hippies and not mm. washing and squats and travelers <laughs> and, and, you know, greasy, smelly people. And it's like, oh, it's such a shame. And, but yet Tom Ford slips it in now, doesn't he? And it's like, well, it's not too bad. It's covered, you know, it's not too strong, but. Um, no, patchouli is one of my favorite things to eat. I have a, um, I have this, I have like at least four patchoulis and the ones that I've had that are like aged two year and five year, um, they're almost like a fine scotch, but they're absolutely beautiful. If you just smell them unadulterated and, um, they're, I, I love patchouli, like it done well, it's an absolutely beautiful material to use in perfume, but yeah, like you have to kind of shake off that older aspect of, um, what you might equate it with, um, in terms of like mnemonic exercises of like a oh, dirty hippie, like, no, 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 no. It's, it's so much more than that. Yes. Look, Tom Ford likes it. He'll, and that's really expensive. So don't worry. Mm. Um, I don't know why, sorry, I keep mentioning Tom Ford. Um, yeah. So look, but then you know, you you have your you know the the passion and interest in perfume. How did you then start to think about, as they say on Dragons Den, scaling it up to being a business? And and how did you get your USP on this? Because this is kind of fascinating. Because because I because I think this is what happened one evening. I was looking at your I think your website, and and I came across that. Oh yes, four AD. Yes, I know that. And then the heartthrobs were in there, and I thought, wow, that was on one little Indian records and. I went to see them at the Norwich Arts Centre and remember sitting at the table with Rose and her sister having a chat and thinking, I love that record so much, and then played it the other day and thought, it's magic. So, you know, obscurity or what? So how did you, you know, how do you get to the next stage? <laughs> so I, so I, when I thought like, okay, I will make perfume, how hard can it be? Um, I in, initially thought that... Um, I didn't have enough understanding of aroma chemicals because in my mind, I equated chemicals with chemistry. That's going to be very intense. I don't know what I'm doing. It can be dangerous. Danger is bad. Let's avoid that. So for me, it was more, let me just deal with, uh, let me work with essential oils because those I understand they're natural. And I'm going to put that in air quotes and it feels safer. So I would just start collecting materials that I could find. So it was uh, smelling rose and then all the different roses and smelling different jasmines and different lavenders and patchoulis and cedars and um, different citrus fruits. And so I created this collection simultaneously in my head and I hadn't had this happen before until I started working with these materials that my brain started talking to me in a different language where it's all of a sudden I have these sense I'm developing a vocabulary that, oh, bergamot, we understand that as something shimmering and it kept growing in my head where I found that I had this strange synesthesia that when I was smelling these notes, I was hearing it as music and I would go back and listen to the music that I've always loved. And all of a sudden that music then became a scent. And it was something that just kind of switched out of nowhere, but it hadn't happened until I started collecting all these different materials where then I could say like, my brain was like, Oh, now we know how to talk to you about this. This song you listen to, guess what? it's these other notes now. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, so I would listen to all the music that I love. And then all of a sudden, and it didn't always happen. Like it just turns itself on and off. I, I can't control it, but it's also making it so that I have a very prolific collection where like, if you go to my website, you look at all the fragrances, it's like, oh my God, like how many are there? And that's the thing I like, I can't really turn it off. But when it does happen, the notes just appear in my head. And like the music and the scent is just one in the same. And uh, 
I will just write and I'll just have to write things down because it'll just overtake my memory banks. And I just, I have to focus on other things. So it's like, I'll just grab a piece of paper. I'll grab my phone and I'll just write the notes out just to get it out of my head so I can just move on and focus. And so that is really kind of where my fragrance collection came from was that it was just a synesthesia of like listening to um, the band Swallow and their song Love Sleep. And I'm just walking under the trees in our neighborhood. And that's when the linden blossoms were in full bloom and the nectar's dripping down. Like you can smell the linden blossoms in, in the neighborhood. And I immediately started singing Love Sleep in my head. Cause like, I just could not turn, like they were one in the same. And by the time I made it home, I had completely figured out the formula in my head of exactly what I wanted Love to Sleep to smell like. My God, that's amazing. It's so, annoying, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, I could imagine it was kind of like, yeah. Yeah, you could have Johnny Depp play you in a film. That would be a no, sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Judith Panache's is love in there. That was that would have been in the 90s. But yeah, so that was your first one then was was Swallow, Love a uh, Love Sleep. Was the the kind of the first perfume that you you No, it's of... actually the first one. The first one I did was Deluxe by Lush. So it was um that was actually the first one that I put together as a fragrance. It was more of um just creating a series of different fragrances but yeah definitely the first one i did was lush um deluxe and there's always been something about the two different versions of the the two different video versions of that song where there's the original one where they're like in the tree in the middle of the woods and then there's the other one where it's studio produced where like you know mickey's like rolling her head around in like a tub full of milk um but still that song for me was that it, because it was this beautiful kind of shimmering tone that it was just the citrus notes that just kept coming into my head. And then there was this undercurrent of like this oud kind of tone, but it was two different ouds. So I had to put those together. And then galbanum kind of gave me this like beautiful, sharp green tone. And pepper was this kind of like the, the underlying, not static, but that slight reverb when you hear the guitars in there. But like all the kind of coming together was that I, so I made the fragrance and I gave it to a friend of mine to try. And she was like, this is absolutely amazing. And so it was a person kind of actually saying yeah this is good so I'm like okay maybe I should just try a few more so then I just banged out a few other different fragrances and I started slowly building them up and like fine-tuning things and then uh at kind of like throwing caution to the wind of like well let's just see what happens oh, that's um, amazing I, so with when, when you have that that kind of moment where you listen to the music you can then get as I was looking here you get your top notes middle notes and your bass notes they they all come together. You don't have to then rework them later on in the studio or in the lab. But um, oh no, yeah, no, you do, you do, you do. I mean, uh, it, it will be a thing of. Um, so I was, uh, I was so before Holly Herndon signed with 4AD, she was still with the the label uh, Revenge, um, and so she did the song Home, and I just remember seeing the video for it and just blew my mind because I'd never seen anything so beautiful before, and. I really loved her her music. And then it just happened to be that she got signed to 4AD and then she released her album platforms. And I'm listening to the song Unequal in my neighborhood. And it was a summertime. So it was actually kind of the perfect time to have this happen because that's when everything's in bloom. And I'm walking through where it's like spring, summertime, the lilacs are still in bloom. And that was important because lilac is one of the notes that's featured in that fragrance. And when I was walking through my neighborhood and I could smell the lilac, her song Unequal came into my head and I could just hear the choruses of the different voices that would just play off of each other. And like the flowers were playing off of each other. And that's just how it felt of like, and I even described it on my website of like, I went to this art show in Chelsea, New York City, where there was this artist and he just did these huge wading pools in this room filled with uh, porcelain. And the porcelain would just float on the water and it would randomly just like clink and clash into each other and create these beautiful tones and that's how I thought about the fragrance and with her music was that it's just these flowers just randomly just colliding with each other and just touching each other and, and like moving away from one another. And then like the flowers just kind of came into my head and then I had an idea of the flowers. I just didn't know where it was going to go yet. So then I went back to my studio, then I'm working through everything, trying to figure out where I want each flower to go and then working through those iterations and then releasing it as a, a finished product. Wow, that is, that is um, 
that's ahead of the process, isn't it? It I sounds was... so artsy when I say it out loud. And like, I feel like I should be wearing all black and smoking a cigarette. But yeah, it, it that that's literally how I work. <laughs> yeah, no, I can, you know, it does sound sort of fascinating. Because when I was looking, you know, I was thinking that's a lot of 4AD. But then you've explained you, you have this kind of genuine love. It's not like some sponsorship deal you do. Mm-mm. You know, this is the kind of music you love. So is it the case then... Sort of, you know, I know you, you you watch my brain thinking here, aren't you? So is it then the case that you just kind of wait for the next kind of musical moment that comes and thinks, okay, or so you can't turn it off and on. You just literally, it just happens and you think, oh, right, I've got the sensation is here and this music. So you can listen to some records and it's just zero. Nothing, it's... zero, zilch. Oh, wow. And then other times like, and then I will be running. Um, so I was running along the water, uh, I want to say like a few years ago, and I got the smell of like wild raspberries. And then immediately I started hearing the song Catch by the Cure in my head. And then so while I was singing that, and then it was raspberries and rose. And I never quite went back to that. So I have a fragrance sketch bouncing around in my head of the Cure Catch. So like if Robert Smith ever listens to this and he wants to work on a collaboration, like get at me, I'll totally do that. But so again, it was roses and raspberries kind of prominently featured in that fragrance um but yeah there's other times i'll listen to music and like i'll really appreciate the music and what i'm listening to but like yeah nothing it'll just be crickets and then um i'll be like i was driving in my car one day and i was listening to incurable by piano magic and just right when that song came on my head just got overtaken by the notes like it was just shouting and i had to pull over and i had to write everything down because i couldn't focus on anything else and so once i wrote it down it's like, okay, I've got the notes. I'll figure it out later. But like my mind was actually cleared and I could just move. I could get back in my car and just drive again. Yes. God, that's amazing. Because I remember listening to one of those interviews with Kurt Cobain and he was, his favorite book was Perfume, wasn't it? He absolutely mm. loved that book. And um, yes, I know. Not the best point I've ever made in my life, but. Uh... <laughs> No, I, I did an interview a few years ago um, for a magazine here in Seattle. And then the woman, there was a young woman who called a fact check and she said, so you have synesthesia, right? And I said, yes. And she said, that's a nervous condition. I'm really, I, I don't know if it's a nervous condition. And she's like, no, 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 it's a nervous condition. I'm like, okay. I, so I have a nervous condition. So that's how it was listed in the article that, so James has a nervous condition called synesthesia. And I was like, well, that that's nice. That That's a fun thing to walk around with. No, no, I don't. Hello, worry. I have a nervous condition. <laughs> Just a, I don't know, a magical quality. Well, I don't know. That might be not nice either. But look, so look, going to because this is the, the 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 kind of moment that something hit me in the radar. So so you know because there's like Dead Can Dance, amazing. You know, there's Frank Black, there's the Copto Twins, the Pell Saints. I mean, some amazing bands and the Heartthrobs. You know, so I. I was just thinking, this is incredible. And then Rima Rima, who is this band from 1979, lasts about 10 months, one EP. And they've got, you know, like not many people know them, even even though there's now been a film. So we'll slowly get more traction. And there's the book by Dorothy. So how did Rima Rima come into your consciousness? I just kind of, um, yeah, it's curious on such an obscure band. Well, so that again, it was that um, when I listened to an artist, uh, I just become obsessed with them. So when I heard, so I hadn't, I had never heard anything about my bloody Valentine until I saw that video only shallow. And then as soon as I heard it, I ran to the record store and bought everything. So like even the first record that never had, um, it was that original artist and I forget his name off the top of my head. And he was with the artist for quite a number of records. So there was, this is your bloody Valentine geek. Um, and then a few, and then he left and then Belinda joined. And then it was just the, the four of them um was his name david probably david but so was he was he the original singer wasn't he yes he was the original singer um and but i didn't care it's like i love my bloody valentine there are people who are like ah it's not the same band i'm like shut up i don't care it's like they're amazing i'm just gonna buy these records um but so when i heard the wolfgang press queer and like i really loved the sound of that album and then you go through their back catalog and it's like wow they sound nothing like maybe kansas and maybe some of the things from um, birdwood cage kind of sounds similar to queer and you can see where that's going but like you go back to the earlier stuff and you're like it doesn't sound anything like queer but it's still really beautiful in its own right and you want to learn more about the different artists and so it was me just going back to the record stores and just saying like um i need more 
like where like take me other places and so like we didn't have the internet back then so you're just relying on the music the people who work in the music stores and they're like oh okay well if you like this like here are the other artists that they're part of and so consuming that and then getting a hold of Rima Rima and taking it home and listening to it and hearing that opening track and it just it's the most in musically intense thing you can hear when you're just putting on a record and it's just very quiet in your space and all of a sudden you're just hearing Rima Rima coming at you and like the indecipherable lyrics that are just repeated um this intense feedback with this beautiful guitar and these amazing drums and there was i just felt ingrained to it because there was a part of me that especially like if you're young and you're outside of a you know heteronormative kind of um experience where you know like in america we train everybody to become like you know tomorrow's christian soldiers you know rah 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 get married become a you know engineer and you know halt you know hoard all your taxes but you're like no i want to be something bigger than than that and you're hearing the song and like you you feel that attachment you feel that gra you gravitate toward it and so there was that love that existed but then going back and listening to that particular song in my head my brain just turned on and was like oh yeah we know this and here are all the notes and listed everything in my head and then went back and then just retooled and worked on the fragrance and then I released it as Rima, but the entire time I did that, it never occurred to me that anybody would care. Like, it was just like, I was just creating these things to just be like, yeah, I can do this. And I never thought that, um, I never worked through the logical conclusion of people are going to find you. And like, this is just going to have a life of its own that none of that ever occurred to me. It was like, I'm just going to make something. Um, and then, so making that fragrance and then having, you know, Gary and Max and Mick and Mark, and then having Margot come and do a film about it, all of that was just something I never expected. Like never crossed my mind. No, no that's, that is kind of Hollywood really, isn't it? That's kind of, um, you, know, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't be, you, you wouldn't sort of get that through, would you? They would just say, no, that's a, yeah, no, it's, and it just gone on the perfume bit with the Rima one. I mean, it's quite your bass notes. I'm going to try and sound like I know what I'm talking about, but you've got the big hitters, haven't you? Oud, Patuli tobacco and vetiver i mean when you see what comes first because this is the base you've got the middle do they all come together you know do you sort of go okay i've got the whole sense or do you or do or do these build in your mind as you're listening to the music they it's it's both um which it sounds that's not when i'm saying that i don't want to make it sound like that's something to kind of like push it aside but it was really more of in my head they are one and the same because it's the the oud and the and the vetiver and the tobacco, the patchouli. It's that being live at a show. I mean, obviously, I could not have been there when they performed live and then disappeared into existence forever. But um, I went to enough live shows that I know that like that when you go to those concerts and like there are people around you who are wearing leather jackets and like they have the cigarettes and like there's somebody who's always smoking like god awful weed. Not not the stuff you can get nowadays where these kids are like for thirty dollars I can like trip the light fantastic i mean for everybody else it was like for five dollars i can smoke roach spray so it was like that kind of like dirty skunk weed that you would smell at concerts but it was also mixed with that the smell of cigarettes and leather and just everybody's sweaty and you're just jumping up and down and there's this fueled excitement that's happening because the audience is feeding off the band which is feeding off the audience and so there's this kind of beautiful relationship that happens and that's really kind of where the bass notes were going for was that that attachment to the music and just this excitement from the crowd kind of swelling. And then you have moving through those notes into the middle where you have the cannabis and you have the Styrax and you're kind of getting into like more of the, the leathery aspects of it, but then also some brightness because you're listening to the feedback that's coming through and that distortion. And what does that sound like in my head? And so, you know, there's like these kind of peppery tones to that. And that's how I, and that's how I treat feedback in my head. And then the screaming and the, like the kind of the higher tones, like for me, like, citrus and when i talk about this it sounds really weird and people kind of look at me like i have three heads but there are these moments where like you have those really high tones and it's almost like these natural aldehydes with citrus notes where kind of you hit it and it's so close to being so you can almost perceive it because it's so strong and then just it just as quickly disappears because like those notes can't really be sustained in a song and so you have these really high parts and then they just have to drop because you have to give the audience something to like, you have to give them a break. And so like, that's kind of where that, the, 
the notes for the music came from. It was it was all kind of mixed together in my head, and like, and I'm thinking about it, like I can describe it perfectly, but um, it's to me it makes sense. But yeah. when I talk about it with other people, they'll just look at me and they're like, "Oh, how much acid did you do as a kid?" And it's like, well, the answer was a lot, but it's both. It's fine. It's, it's all fine. good. It's it's it knows. Um, it's it's um, obviously good acid. But then, yeah, I mean, it's it's an incredible. I mean, I love the kind of the the whole packaging. So when did you then think, okay, I've made these for my friends and Christmas presents and birthdays, and um, I'm assuming. But then oh, yeah. you think you think right, okay, this is this is kind of running. Did you get to a point where you'd sort of got um, quite a few, and then thought, actually, I could put this into a little bit more of a, a business you know and um see if i can get some traction on this yeah so going to art school um you become a starving artist so you have to switch tracks so for me it was that i realized okay i'm not gonna make a living as a book artist i'm not gonna make a living doing printmaking so i will switch to graphic design so i became a graphic design designer um which is also why i've always loved 4ad because you see so much of the work that they're doing and so much of it was experimental and like it's beautiful design and it was way it was years ahead of Reagan and it was years ahead of the David Carson and everything else that was coming out of the 90s and um it was really trotting new ground and so like that was always kind of an inspiration as well for me um but then I I tried to do a business plan for myself one day where I thought what if I went and just worked for myself as a graphic designer and I just looked at this business plan and I was just drawing a blank and I couldn't do it and I just was like I have no idea where I want to go with this and then I looked at my hobby and I thought what if I did the business plan for the perfume? And so then I just started drafting and like, I, the next thing I know, I had like 24 pages written out for a business plan. I'm like, maybe I should try this and give it a go. So I had some friends who were working at a weekend market here in Seattle and they said, okay, well, we have a booth here on Sunday. So just come over into our booth and we'll give you a little corner and you can sell your work. So I man, I just put together a few bottles um, with whatever money I had at the time, which was not a lot. And then to start selling fragrances at this weekend market on Sundays and little by little um, people were buying bottles and then I was able to go from my friend's booth where I had a corner table to um, my own booth and my own table and then had people who would come to the market on weekends and be like you're that perfume guy I've heard about and like I want to smell your stuff and and then randomly out of nowhere this woman walks by and says, oh, you have a fragrance inspired by Lush. My best friend is a super fan of them, and I, he can put you in touch with them. I'm like, ha, 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 yeah, whatever. And he does. And he says, they are very intrigued by this, and would you want to send them bottles? I said, absolutely. So I sent him a bunch of bottles that he then passed on to them. So I had no direct connection to them whatsoever, no idea what was going to happen. And then one day, I get tagged in the Facebook post because I'm not sure if it was Miki or Emma but or Phil. Um, but they just uploaded the bottles to their Facebook page and they were obviously taking the piss out of this because they said, oh, maybe next he'll do a deodorant called Lady Killers. Um, but instantaneously, that put me on everybody's um, attention target peripheral. And yeah. uh, that's when I got contacted. So uh, the label for AD, they were super nice and they were like, you have our blessing to do this. This is really great you're not the first person to do 48d inspired stuff but our name is ours so if you can just take that off your website and i'm like absolutely thank you so much thank you for not suing me i love you Rever reverence 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 um and then a lot of the artists that i were that inspired my fragrances they were really um chuffed they were like i didn't think anybody would ever do this like i would could i have a bottle i'm like absolutely you can have a bottle um one artist he was not a huge fan of what I did and she was really kind of mad at me and I'm like I I honestly never did this to try and I, I think it was more of that like you did this without my consent and permission I'm like you're right but I just never also thought that like this would be a thing so I'm so sorry but um that one aside everyone else has just been um super lovely about it Oh, that is so nice. That is such a lovely story, apart from that one hiccup, but let's face it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's just the greatest. So with that, I mean, do you, is it the case that you've, you know, you mentioned Catch, you know, The Cure, that, you know, you've not quite finished. It's almost like someone writing lyrics and then not being able to quite finish it and then, you know, years later doing it. But is it the case that you've 
always got some working away on that you just got to still you know just eventually get it done and then packaged and back you know and on the website I just wondered if you have ones that you know that you think yeah I've got another three that are kind of in in sort of in in the wings I think that's no it's a yeah, so I work on a lot of fragrance sketches, and a few years ago I was uh, doing um, what I called kind of like my test pressing. So I was maybe just trying out a few different things and sending them out to people and being like, let me know what you think. Um, and then I kind of stopped doing that because it just got really busy to just try and always um, release something that I was working on in my head because uh, I wanted to focus on other parts of my business. Um, but then I also have customers who routinely buy things from me and so whenever someone buys a fragrance from me I like to include a sample as a thank you gift because I'm always really appreciative of people supporting my work and one particular customer she's bought so much where I'm like I ran out of samples I'm like I don't have anything else to send you so I'm just going to send you like fragrance sketches that I'm working on so she's kind of become my de facto reviewer and she would say things like okay whatever you just sent me made me cry and I need this as a fragrance um so because of her, that's where I did a fragrance sketch that was inspired by Philip Glass. And so then I, I, launched, I launched Opening as a finished fragrance. So Opening's on my website, which is kind of this um, jasmine coconut explosion with also lemongrass and oud and uh, sandalwood. And then again, I ran out of samples to send her. So then I sent her another fragrance sketch and she's like, okay, I, I need this. I need this right now. Um, so that particular fragrance was inspired by um, the German industrial band. And I'm so sorry, I'm about to butcher this. And I apologize from the bottom of my American heart. Einstein um, Neubauten. So close. And I'm so sorry, Germans, whoever listening. Um, so uh, they, I saw them once in concert. I could only handle them once because the music was so loud and I was so stupid and so young and didn't wear headphones. And I couldn't hear for, I think, six hours after the show when I threw up because it was that loud, but it was that am amazing. Um, so on the album Tabula Rasa, there's a song Bloom, which is done in a few different versions. But the song Bloom was this beautiful tone. And in my head, it was just like the flowers are just shouting. And so it was like, you got to make this as a fragrance. So I made that as a sketch gave it to my customers a sample and she's like you have to do this as a fragrance so uh right uh, this morning i sent off two bottles to germany so i'm waiting for um, blix's official blessing so when i receive his official blessing then i'm going to release it as a finished fragrance so uh it just kind of ra things randomly appear excellent um, yeah i mean god yeah. it's amazing because because i did an interview with a, guy, with a guy who was from the uk and he's been in germany now since the 80s and he worked on the, you know, the Joy Division album closer, but he's worked with Blixer and he's told me some fantastic stories about working with that guy, with those guys and stuff like that. So, um, yes, it's it's great that you've you, you've got such a diverse range of, of artists. So Bloom, yeah, Bloom I, is the next, next one. That's it. But that's also the funny thing, too, because that's when I, when I met uh, Max from Rima Rima um, in person. She That was her question. She was like, how old are you? Like, how did you how did you come across our music and like how did you even find our album like how did you how did you do this and so like that was the thing of people um that it, I don't want to say that there's always assumptions but I think that a lot of people might take a look and be like there's no way that he listens to this kind of music but I've always been a huge consumer of music in so many different genres and like the, the heart throbs like I absolutely loved that album when it came out and like I was maybe one of the only two people in my, in my group of friends that listened to that album and everybody else was just like ah we've moved on we're listening to faith no more we're listening to other other artists i'm like no but the heartthrobs are so beautiful and such a wonderful album um but it was also after the 2020 election here in the states and i just i needed something to feel good about and i was riding my bike and it was um we have rock rose that just grows wild here in the summertime and then we had heliotrope and I just started singing um, dream time to myself just to make myself feel better. And as I'm singing that to myself and I'm riding my bike, then all the notes come together in my head. And so like, I just go home and it's like, okay, I'm going to work on violet. I'm going to work on orange and fur and fur, um, fur balsam and rock rose. And I put this whole thing together and we'll just see how it goes. Amazing. And did you, I mean, you know, that kind of relationship, do you think oh, it doesn't matter? I'm just going to do it. And then, tell the band i mean did you get in touch with the heartthrobs afterwards or did you 
No, I, I don't. I would love to. I mean, I think that's also the thing of like, there's so many times where like I don't even know how to get a hold of people. Um, I mean, the thing with Blix was that Blix is on Instagram, so I can just go to Blix's Instagram and then go to the website and then send a message and just say like, um, "Peace and blessings be upon you." Um, I am so sorry. I don't. I don't deserve your audience. But I mean, it's really that when I talk to a lot of the artists, it's a, it. It always comes from a place of reverence. That I mean, if there was anybody who ever said like. I don't like this, please don't do this. Then I would absolutely be like, I am, you're right. I'm so sorry. And I would, and I would stop. But um, I think a lot of people, when I, so when I met Glenn Johnson of Piano Magic, he at first was like, yeah, I mean, he, he has fans who tattoo their, his logo on their body. So he's not, he's not accustomed to this, but or he is accustomed to this. But um, I think when he smelled the fragrance, he was like, oh, this is actually good. So I think that also helped people as well, because they don't, I think for a lot of artists, they're like, if this smells gross, I don't want it. Um, but so the bottles that I have sent to artists, so when I sent um, Pale Saint to Ian, Ian liked it a lot. So that was good. And that helped. Um, I was able to track down Kendra Smith um, for her fragrance Aurelia. And she was really lovely about it. And she was like, oh, I also happen to really love perfume myself. And so it spawned this kind of fun little conversation out of nowhere. Um, yes. I sent a bottle to Warren from His Name is Alive for Livonia. And he was like, hey, this is great. Hey, have you talked to Ivo yet? And I'm like, <laughs> who who just randomly just talks to Ivo? I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, here, hold on. Let me get you in touch with him. And then so uh, I sent Ivo a sample set. And then Ivo was like, uh, so he, he sent me an email. And we talked about how filigree what filigree shadow meant to him because that was his favorite song his favorite band is fever tree and so he was like i love the song filigree and shadow and like that's what prompted me to use that and so when i talk about it on my website filigree and shadow is a name for my brand it's a twice borrowed reference because i borrowed it from for this mortal coil who ivo in turn borrowed it from fever tree so there's always this kind of an homage of an homage in yeah. my work and also you get to um, talk to the mysterious Ivo, which is very exciting. Yeah, yes. that's my anxiety through the roof. That was that, that was really tell, telling my cats and my husband, I'm like, I'm talking to Ivo and they're just shrugging their shoulders like, okay. Yeah, but no one talks to Ivo. I mean, that was why. I no was one talks to Ivo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one. We all have this idea that he's in some sort of desert landscape with some animals, but who knows but then he appears in in the great film with Rima Rima so it's really nice that he's uh yeah god it is just the most brilliant project and business I think you know one could ever have actually almost I mean it's just a, it's just beautiful so it's kind of so when oh by the way when did it start when did you start this you know happening when did it sort of launch so I so I officially launched um I launched online in December of 2015 and then I started selling to the public on Valentine's Day in 2016. So when I started in 2011, the majority of that time was me just spending time learning how to make perfume. So it was reading books, um trying to watch YouTube tutorials and realizing like nope, don't watch YouTube. Not a good reference at all. Bad 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 <laughs> advice. So just stick with books. So read a lot of books um and then just bought materials and just with my own money, just as a hobby, just learning how to blend stuff and then buying different materials and learning. Um, there is something to be said for quality. Uh, so if you're buying Oak Moss, Oak Moss Absolute and it's $5, uh, don't use that because it's not going to be a good time for anybody. Um, and then other <laughs> materials like, oh, tobacco blossom is not the same as tobacco leaf because when you buy tobacco blossom and you open it up in your apartment, your husband's going to say, burn the house down get that out of here i never want to smell it again and we can't get rid of it and nobody wants because they're like this is way too overpowering um so those kind of lessons that you're learning along the way as you're making a fragrance and then uh and then yeah finally doing the launch in 2016 and then slowly kind of organically building an audience with people so i'm kind of like this weird if you've never unless you're looking for me or somebody's talked about me you're probably not going to find me no, brand. but then, but then, have you also just kind of interested? I mean, you've obviously America, but have you started finding, you know, you're sending parcels and packages further around the world? Oh, yeah. So when I started, uh, I worked exclusively in oil um, because, again, it was that I just didn't understand in my mind chemistry well enough to go beyond that. Um, so I was using rollerball bottles for oil because it's such a viscous material, but then rollerballs will leak. And they're very kind of cumbersome to work with. And then so I finally worked, started working with alcohol, which was great. But then 
you can't really ship alcohol-based perfumes without a huge amount of money involved. And so people would order um, bottles from me overseas, but then you can only use FedEx. And that shipping for a 15 milliliter bottle was $122. And that was way more than the actual fragrance itself. And so people were like, I really want to buy your stuff, but like, I don't want to pay $122. I'm like, I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> so and then I and I had and I heard that so many times, like, okay, I gotta find another way to do this. So oil, I don't want to go back to, alcohol is not gonna work. So I'm like, let me try water, because I know other people have done water perfume. So let me figure out how that works. So I had to kind of figure out for myself like how to make a water-based perfume. And so it's the fragrance itself and water, and then you use a third material to kind of disperse the fragrance evenly throughout the water. So it's not necessarily completely miscible and soluble like an alcohol-based perfume. It's that the fragrance is held in suspension in the water. So some of them are going to be very clear fragrances and some will be very cloudy. And it's just the nature of the fragrance in the water itself. Um, but once I got rid of the alcohol, I could ship anywhere. And so now I just ship, I ship everywhere all the time. So like, you know, Rome, Russia, Italy, um, Japan, uh, the Middle East, Europe quite a lot. Um, it took me forever to get my VAT certificate with the UK. So now that I have that, now I'm able to ship to the UK legally. Um, but yeah, it, it's been great. So having water as my carrier base instead of alcohol or oil has just made it so much more possible for me to ship anywhere. Yes. Did that, on just the light technical front, when you realized you had to sort of change those ingredients, did you have to change all the other little bits to sort of get that you know, like, oh, yes, that's the one I want. You know, that's what I wanted. But, you know, having to take out, you know, oil or alcohol, was that was that a bit of a pain in the bum? Yeah. Yeah. I, and so working in oil, because it's such a very thick material and it doesn't have the same kind of sillage as alcohol. So like when you spray an alcohol-based perfume, the, the way that it the fragrance will emanate off your skin and other people can smell you, that's the known as the sillage of a fragrance. And so like in French, it just means wake. Um, oil doesn't have that same kind of property. And so it's going to be a much more intimate smell. So if you're hugging somebody, you can smell their fragrance. But if it's alcohol, then you can usually smell them like three to six feet away. Uh, water kind of works the same way as alcohol. So it made it a little bit easier to make that transition um, because when I was originally doing oil-based, I had to use so much more fragrance in order for people to smell it because of the oil was just inhibiting a lot of that the aroma. Um, alcohol didn't have to use as much. And then with water, it was kind of that same transition of like, oh, okay, I can still make these fragrances and it doesn't have to be with a very super strong um, concentration of fragrance in there. So it was uh, it was easier to work with, but it was also um, going back through and then making sure that because I'm shipping outside the United States, and I want to be very cognizant of other people's safety and health. So making sure that all the fragrances comply with at least the EU standards. Because the EU is very good about making sure that everybody stays safe. So as long as all my fragrances fall within their safety guidelines, I don't worry about where I ship anything. Because I know yes. it'll, it'll be fine for people. That's amazing. Well, that that's brilliant. I mean, just kind of last one, which I always ask people. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your 16-year-old self starting out with this kind of creative journey, is there anything in particular that you'd have thought, oh, God, that would have been such a good idea to have thought about or nudged or some words of wisdom? Because obviously this has, you know, been an amazing journey. Oh, thank you. Um, it has. I, I would say it was the imposter syndrome because for some reason in my head when I started this, I didn't, I couldn't convince myself that I was a perfumer. And then, especially if you one day say, "I'm going to start a podcast or a radio program," or "I'm going to become a musician," and your friends have known you in a specific category and type for so long, they're going to look at you and be like, "Sure, okay." And it's going to be very hard for you to make that mental shift because people only know you that way. And so they're kind of tethering you to that same space. And so for a while there, you're thinking, maybe I'm not this other version of myself yet. And I'm just fooling myself. And so that imposter syndrome is kind of carrying me for a while. But then you meet people who are new to you or um, other people outside of your traditional circle of friends, and they accept you for who you are. And then that imposter syndrome breaks away. And I would say, if I could go back to my 16-year-old self, it would be that um, don't worry about what other people think about you. Because if you really want to do this, you're going to do it. And you're going to be that person. So it's that, and I would say even like the same thing for like a lot of the musicians that I listen to that sort of so long of like they're trying to 
figure out are they in a band and then one day they're in a band and like yeah okay I'm a, I'm a rock and roll artist like I'm a musician like this is just who I am now and their audience is like yeah you are and I, that kind of the same thing for me but it was really hard for me for a long time to kind of call myself a perfumer with confidence because of that same imposter syndrome kind of holding me back and so does trying to shed that level of anxiety if I could get back to my 16 year old self I think would have really helped me much more now as an adult yes well yeah absolutely I was, I was thinking you know most people I, I would um I say most people but I, yeah I think from a lot of people I spoke to they they have the same not having the confidence but you know trying to pull it off and and taking a while and I often think about you know David Bowie because I was obsessed with him realizing that his work in the 60s which was like five six years of it you know, it wasn't that amazing. Actually, it's awful, really. But um, you know, in places. <laughs> but then, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you do eventually get there, David. And then suddenly, it's oh, it's fantastic. And oh, I'm not sure, not not sure about the eighties, but then never mind. We we still love you for it. So you know, oh, absolutely. It, it, it's you know, I, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Really, I think that's um, it's best not to overthink it, really, isn't it? Just to, we all we all just so you know, we we are have to, fun. We're all doing our best, aren't we? You yeah. Know, go. And that's the main thing. But look, thank you ever so much for this. It's been amazing. Oh, well, I, when you, I did just, I wouldn't, I didn't think I'd say it during it, but I did an interview with that, um, David Conley, who was in My Bloody Valentine in the very early years. Yes. Um, so if you, if you, uh, that's somewhere on my, you know, if you just have a look on those podcasts, you'll hear David chatting about his life in My Bloody Valentine and what he does next. <clears throat> So there you go. You don't have to listen. I would to love that. No, no, I do. Because like listening to your other podcasts um, and your other programs, uh, I wouldn't even say they were podcasts, like listening to your other programs. So they really were just like these really kind of wonderful, intimate interviews that you have with other um, artists. And it was like, uh, it was kind of like listening to Gary and listening to, to Max um, for Mary Room. I was like, it was really kind of wonderful to listen to them again, because the last time I saw them was at the Dock and Roll Festival in London last November. So it was... the you're like talking with people that you almost consider like oh like wonderful friends yes i i think it's interesting because i think you get to an age and it doesn't feel it feels different now that you you know you just think we're nice people let's just have a nice time no you know no baggage no kind of weird stuff goes on and 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 then you just go by but you know that if you saw each other again you just have to pick it up and have a nice conversation it doesn't have to be any kind of history or there doesn't have to be like do we really know each other that well? It's like, well, we're just nice people on this planet. So let's just have a good time. And it's like, so okay. I'll, I'll tell you one more story and then um, I will thank you for all this. So when I went to the, when I went to the festival, um, my ticket, I, when I was seated in the theater, I had Mick Allen to my left and I had Von Oliver's widow to my right. And then Chris Big and Martin Anderson. So V23 on my right, Mick Allen on my left, and me sitting in the middle of them with my anxiety that I'm among royalty and I didn't know how to act. And so my body temperature is just soaring in the theater and I'm wearing the Rima Rima fragrance. And so as my body heat gets hotter, the fragrance starts getting bigger and I'm trying not to think about that. So I'm trying to cool myself down, but I'm getting more of a panic and it just gets more and more intense. And after the movie, when it stopped, um, Vaughn's widow turns and looks at me and says like I, your fragrance is really beautiful the citrus is lovely and then saying thank you and before my anxiety completely cripples me uh I wanted to say how much your late husband meant to me and his music and his work is absolutely beautiful and then she said oh he's still with us me being the idiot and the anxiety that I am I said where and I turned my head looking for Vaughn and then she just kind of pats me gently and then just kind of motions with her and above us in like the ethereal space and I said oh so um as much as I would like to say that I um have that kind of calm relationship a lot of the times is that my anxiety still gets all the best of me and it's usually better if I just kind of have very small conversations with a lot of these people because <laughs> then I'm like I'm going to die now I know, but um, I know. yes, I know the, these things happen. But anyway, that was quite amazing, really. God, you must have felt like, yay, that's brilliant. But then that yeah. kind of, that that internal voice, I suppose you need to smack it down, don't you? And I don't know, grow to love, grow, grow to love that kind of anxiety. Give them a yeah. hug. 
it's easier said than done. I mean, God, I'm, you know, it's um, there's lots of situations where I just kind of, I've gone to parties and just turned up and then went, oh, I can't do this and just disappeared. And someone said, someone said they saw you at the party, but I never saw you. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's because I I just froze, you know. In some situations, it's fine, and others, I just think, I wonder if I make people uncomfortable shit fuck if i have that thought it's like i'm just gonna leave i'm gonna leave now don't don't worry i'm fine you know i'm just gonna sneak out i'm not even gonna say goodbye i'm just you know i think that's the that's my kind of um moment where i kind of get anxious you know yeah gary Asquith is an amazing life coach like if you ever get a chance to talk to him again he is an incredible advice giver like i was very hesitant to go to london when they remarima did their 40th record release and he just said james what have you got to lose just go for it and i so gary asked became my life coach and i bought a ticket and i went to london and then i got to meet the band and that was and like that was years before the movie came out so i would say like in moments of anxiety or panic i just need to kind of go back in my head and say what would gary say what, what would gary, gary do Indeed, we all should um, channel the spirit of Gary Asquith. Anyway, that was me in conversation with James Elliott talking about his life in music and perfume and much more. So if you want to know any more information, just go to Filigree and Shadow and uh, you will find out more. I will put the link on this um, yes podcast as well. So massive thank you to James. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David Esau. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.